Hi there, and welcome to Taking Care in Business, a podcast that I created out of my passion for using business as a force for good. It all started for me in 2016 when my company, Bolson Group, was the first in Indiana to become a B Corp certified company. I've been on a mission ever since learning from others all the different ways that we can be more impactful and making a difference for people and the planet. Whether it's a nonprofit's mission and purpose, a company that has a business model that includes a keen eye on corporate social responsibility, I'm always curious. And I want to share with others so they can grow in their knowledge and identify opportunities for change. You never know who we're going to have on to talk about how they and their organizations are taking care in business. And today we're going to talk about a topic that has been, gosh, just really talked about so much post-George Floyd, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And today, super excited because we're going to talk about it under the guise of higher education. Which, um, which I think ha- there's uh, there's a lot of things that come to my mind when I'm thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and in higher education, and so I'm super excited because we have Nick Davis here with us today, and he is the D- director of diversity and inclusion at Rose Holman Institute of Technology, which is a prestigious engineering school that happens to be in my state of Indiana. So, hi, Nick. Hi. Hi, Vicki. Hi, everybody. I'm super happy to be on the podcast today. Um, obviously, diversity, equity, and inclusion in higher education is a huge passion for me, so I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah, and I just, full disclosure, I was um, sleuthing you, prepping for this interview, and I see that you're moving on to Dartmouth. Yes, yes. That it's It's been kind of a wild couple months, but, um, you know, Rose Holman, an incredible institution and they've really prepared me for um, getting to the next level um, of my professional journey. And so, yeah, transitioning to Dartmouth here in a couple of weeks, making that move to the East Coast, um, trying to find, you know, new places to explore, but very happy for that opportunity. Uh, Going to be joining the Campus Services Division at Dartmouth as their director for uh, culture and employee belonging. So really hyped up, super excited to be working with faculty and staff over at Dartmouth. Yeah, and that's a different, that's a shift, you know, to go from DEI to culture and um, well-being. Is that what you said? Culture, culture and, and employee belonging. Employee yeah. belonging, which are the all the tenets of corporate social responsibility. Right. <laughs> so you really got me listening. Um, I just, I want to start with a general question because I find it so interesting, just your path that you, you're following here with your career. Um, corporate social responsibility must really ring a bell with you as well. What, what does it, what is corporate social responsibility to you and how did you get interested in this? Yeah. So, you know, definitely a non-traditional approach to the diversity, equity, and inclusion world, um, right out of undergrad started in healthcare, mental health, um, working at a number of organizations. One of those was Carolina's healthcare system, which is one of the largest healthcare systems in the Carolinas, worked there for a few years, um, but really started to see um, in my day-to-day opportunities to grow uh, from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. And corporate social responsibility, you know, is is a key tenement there. Um, and I, I found that 
in some ways, as I was going through and then moved to Indiana and was a state employee um, with the Department of Child Services, there seemed to be at times um, a disconnect from what the uh, policy was at an administrative level um, and what was actually happening on the ground. Um, and it really opened up my eyes to um, that uniformity in having policies, practices, and procedures that um, uphold diversity, equity, and inclusion principles, and then how those are actually played out in the day-to-day -day can sometimes be very different. Um, and so that really, for lack of a better term, sparked my obsession with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and so when I transitioned to, into higher education, it was like a whole new world, right? Um, how do we take these policies, policies, practices, and procedures at the systemic level, identify the barriers that exist, um, and then how does that play out in your day-to-day -day activities and communication? So uh, a very uh, varied past, but definitely I'm excited for this next chapter um, and really talking about how we how we put those um, initiatives into practice. Yeah, um, that's a good segue to something that I really have been thinking and prepping for this interview. Um, so I'm thinking, so you got diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it being something that matters to universities, in this case, Rose Holman. I, what I'm really curious about is, is like, at what level are you, are you, um, or I guess, a, what lens are you viewing that through? Is it from recruitment of students? Or is it their well being while on campus? Or is it a combination of both? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if we're, if we're looking at broader systemic um, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, it does have to be kind of this multimodal thinking about everything playing into um, those institutional policies, right? So it is a little bit of everything, you know, it's um, student recruitment, um, recruiting students to attend our schools. It's our um, talent acquisition with employees, right? How are we um, attracting talent? Uh, mm -hmm. How are we engaging talent, knowing that we have the most diverse generational um, populations in the workforce today? Um, so what are those engagement strategies that may be different depending on the generation of worker you are? And then how do we retain that talent? Um, but it's so much broader than that. It's even the, the policies and procedures that we've built up as institutions, right? Um, something that I think is so interesting is... In my work, I really started to value equity audits. And you know, this is um, kind of a common practice in the UK and Australia, which I think are kind of at the cutting edge of diversity, equity, and inclusion work in a, in a corporate setting. But you know, taking a policy and dissecting it, essentially, um, are there equity gaps in policies, right? Because we know policies are created to benefit um, a majority population. And sometimes they inadvertently marginalize underrepresented populations. Um, and sometimes that's intentional, sometimes that's not. I think for the most part, it's not intentional. But do we even look to see, okay, well, 
who is this policy affecting? Um, so it's been a really broad range um, and a broad scope of um, you know, how we're providing a service to our institution and our stakeholders, both internal and external. Wow. Yeah, that that's a really that's a, such an interesting answer. And it just makes me go in a million directions. But um, let me just start with my the most basic question. How do you do an equity audit? Yeah. Like, like that, that just sounds it's it sounds so, you know, like it would be simple, but there is no way that is simple. Yeah, you know, standardizing a practice or, or streamlining it can always be an interesting challenge or opportunity. Um, you know, looking at the research, you know, specifically out of UK, a lot of their equity audits actually applied to uh, civil engineering and construction work. And so they were taking a look at um, policies or procedures that um, benefit uh, the corporation or the practice um, but can sometimes lead to, you know, unsafe environments for employees, mm -hmm. um, uh, create unproductive work schedules, um, marginalize employees from underrepresented backgrounds. And so they, they basically created a rubric and scaffolded a rubric around like policy reform, right? And so I take a look at, we have a policy here, we outline where it even came from, right? How many times in a corporate setting do we have a policy that we don't really know where it came from, but we've always been using it. Um, and so taking a look at the genesis of that policy and then breaking down, okay, who are the stakeholders here? Who is being impacted by this policy? And sometimes what we found, even, even in a general sense, right? A policy uses binary language. It's not inclusive. Um, a policy... Uh, creates a work schedule that's not conducive to a variety of different employees. Um, and so once we start to pick these apart and look at, you know, could we be creating policies, practices, and procedures that marginalize and actually restrict the retention of employees, um, then we have something. And then we can say, okay, well, what's our game plan for addressing this? Um, and, you know, in the UK, especially, there's always like, a diversity liaison that is kind of a checks and balances um, throughout the process of either revising or creating a new policy. It's really, it's really exciting, um, but uh, it's, it's a labor of love, I would say. <laughs> well, and the, you know, having good DEI practices, policies, and procedures obviously contributes to the culture and, you know, um, what is your other part of your new title? Well, uh, belonging, belonging, employee belonging. Employee belonging. Yeah. It contributes to that, correct? So what Absolutely. I what I'm wondering is, is there a DEI person at Dartmouth, and you're going to be working alongside them, or is this title does it encompass work with DEI at Dartmouth, and that you're still going to be doing that? part of what you did at Rose Holman, but at Dartmouth right. under a new title. Yeah, you know, when I, when I looked at the job description for the Director of Culture and Employee Belonging at Dartmouth, I was really struck with, one, the transparency that I saw, um, as well as the organizational structure at Dartmouth. So um, you have an institutional diversity, equity, and inclusion office, 
Um, but they, they really utilize a, a hub and spokes model, as I like to say, right? Where you have your centralized diversity office and then each division or college has their own diversity, equity and inclusion um, area of focus. And so within campus services, I'm basically going to be a liaison um, for, between the institutional DEI office and campus services. Um, but this position is, is pretty unique and, I, and I'm very proud that it came out of a lot of strategic planning work. Um, campus services hired an external consultant in DEI to take a look at are there opportunities, are there barriers um, at, at play um, systemically that we need to start breaking down and managing. And this position came out of listening sessions, employee feedback, um, that, that strategic planning process. And so I'm super excited to be a part of like an inaugural position where you get to leverage all of this expertise in a way that is going to um, promote broader education and knowledge, um, better senses of belonging and engagement, more transparency within the campus services division. And that's really exciting. And that's something that I wanna be a part of. Um, so so it'll, it'll be a little similar to um, Rose Holman, definitely taking everything that I learned from there, but really starting to explore that uh, sense of belonging at Dartmouth. Did, um, did Dartmouth's strategic planning come out of the just after post George Floyd and, 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 and just the importance of everybody, everybody starting to listen and learn? Um, or were they, were they in, encroached in that before the George Floyd situation? Yeah, so I'm not on campus yet. Um, I've done as much research as I could. Um, but one thing that really struck me with Dartmouth is, you know, a lot of times, and we're kind of, we're kind of seeing this in the corporate world, where we're moving away from diversity as a buzzword, um, and moving more towards a, a, a term like diversity, where it's a way we do business, right? Um, and that's why you're, you're seeing adding, instead of just having diversity, we're seeing equity, we're seeing inclusion, belonging, justice. Um, and so many times initiatives it, whether it's higher education or in the corporate world, can largely be seen as performative or being reactionary, right? We saw a lot of that um, with George Floyd and those initiatives that have stuck around kind of let us know, okay, you have integrated it into uh, your business practice. But something that's really exciting about Dartmouth is um, they've had an institutional DEI office for some time. Um, they've had this hub and spokes model for some time. And so I really kind of see it as this is just the next iteration of our progress as an institution, um, not so much um, responding to, but further strength, further strengthening um, initiatives that we already have in place, which I think that's great. <laughs> and I'm very yeah. excited to be a part of that, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, I, I think that, you know, a lot of people are, um, are looking at it like, how can we formalize what maybe we weren't, that weren't policies or weren't, um, you know, I don't know, um, procedures. It wasn't part of our mission and vision, you know, um, but now they're, I think companies, small companies, big companies, um, they're, they're feeling like they do need to institutionalize all of that more so that they are transparent. Um, and so I think that 
and it's going to vary right from industry to industry. Um, but I figured with in higher ed that that had to be a part of any operational plan, strategic plan, um, particularly because as I've seen from the time I was in college until now, my kids are, you know, one's done with college, one's in college and one's going to college. You know, you see that just diversity across campuses and that um, and, and the concerted effort to have diversity on campus and to communicate that there is diversity on campus. But on the flip side, my kids want to be at a diverse campus. And so they also want to know. And so there's like this two-way sort of communication and transparency that is just inherent in higher education. And so I think obviously it's not a surprise that DEI was a part of the um, the system before it's just, you know, um, as you said so well, and I have to try, I didn't take notes, but it, an ongoing, um, what, how did you say that? It was so good. Like a, a growth of the, of the integration of the system or whatever. It was, it was yeah. very, very well said. Um, well, okay. Oh, go ahead. Know- Vicki, you, you actually brought up a really good point. You were talking about both sides and I, you know, I tend to sometimes describe DEI work as being a sandwich, right? I ask people that build a sandwich with me, right? We have um, the actual policies, the education, um, the advocacy work on one end. And on the other end is, you know, allyship, accountability. Um, and what we find, especially in higher ed, is that these initiatives, um, are twofold. They are a top-down initiative, um, but there is also an expectation for some grassroots efforts. And we're really find, finding that with the various generations that we have in the workforce today. You know, um, if you are a part of a corporate team out there and you're listening to this, you know, our Gen Z populations, our millennial populations, when they go to apply for a job, maybe they are a part of a majority population. They are looking for workplaces and corporate settings that are equitable for everyone. So it's not just underrepresented populations saying, hey, we need equity, we need um, inclusive practices. It's also allies that are out there saying, listen, if you're not going to support a workplace where everyone can bring their full self to the table, I don't want to be a part of it. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that really impacts how we define our job descriptions, where we're posting our jobs. as well as what the interview process looks like. And there's some really exciting research going on about, you know, do blind interviews, are those effective at mitigating bias? What does diversity recruitment look like? I mean, it's a really exciting field, but just wanted to piggyback off of what you said. We are building a sandwich, it's two sides. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, especially for uh, corporate settings, you know, talent acquisition needs to be looking out for that um, because it's, it's kind of a, we're beyond pleading a business case for diversity, right? We're beyond that. Uh, We know that diversity in the workplace is critically important to success. And so people are looking for it. Yes, and I think you're right that it's um, the, the generations today that are coming up, the people that are interviewing for jobs are, they're, you know, I mean, we're, Two, two generations removed from when I was interviewing for jobs. Um, I, I, I don't even know, like I was a baby boomer. So then it was 
millennials in between that and then it's gen x and gen z's after that i don't know but my kid so i have um, a 24 year old who is interviewing right now for for you know another another i mean she's been out of college she's been in a job but you know she graduated from the couch during covid so you know it was challenging at best finding and moving into you know her first job but she is interviewing now and she said something to me on the phone the other day that i just found to be fascinating and i was very proud of her she said she was going into a job interview and she said I said, are you nervous? And she said, no, not really, because you know what? I'm interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing me. And I thought, good for you. I mean, I think that is absolutely the way it should be. And I think that everything you just said speaks to that, that it's, um, you know, I do think stereotypically it's more important to this, the the workforce that's entering the, the students, people that are entering the workforce, the new workforce from college. I do think it's different. Stereotypically, it's true that they care more about these things than my generation did. And I think that it's amazing and it's wonderful. You know, I wish that it would have been like that back when, you know, I was interviewing and even you, Nick, to some degree, did you, do you feel like there was a barrier when you were interviewing or did you have already this mindfulness that, well, I'm interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing me. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting statement. You know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, what makes it so exciting is that it's ever evolving. And mm -hmm. so we can't say that these things weren't important back then. They were. Um, language has evolved to uh, provide identifiers and descriptors. We, we have come into the global digital age, right? Where we can uh, learn so much quicker um, about different lived experiences. Um, and so back when I was starting to apply for jobs, you know, getting out of undergrad, being a part of an underrepresented population, being a queer person, um, there was so much fear. Um, there was so much um, really suppression of identity. Um, and I found that I needed to code switch a lot, right? Where I have to suppress parts of my identity to feel like I should, to feel like I'm assimilating appropriately. Um, and that was in, you know, corporate settings. It was in healthcare. It was in the mental health world where um, as, a, as a queer identifying person, I needed to um, kind of cover up, up that part of my identity. Uh, in order to assimilate into more of a heteronormative corporate setting. Um, and so that was very apparent to me as a person. Um, and it was very scary. Was I going in saying, I am interviewing you as you are interviewing me? Uh, in, in some cases, yes. But it was still, how can I fully interview you and let you see the real Nick and how I'm going to be bringing my full, full self to work if there is that fear. Um, and so since I started applying to roles, you know, however many years ago to now, that landscape has totally evolved and changed. Um, but we have so much more work to do. And so um, just by saying, yes, younger generations are excited um, and, and interested in this, while that's great, it's 
up to all generations to be moving this work forward. And so um, I really want us to be focused on the growth potential of DEI work, especially in corporate settings and higher ed, um, because it's only going to become more and more important. So Nick, um, what kind of advice would you have then for all generations, not just, you know, speak broadly about what kind of advice you would give to anyone who is, um, I don't even know if I want to go down the looking for a job route or the general person route, you know, like the C-suite leader. Um, so go whichever path you'd like. Um, yeah. Well, so that's a great question. You know, many times when I'm doing workshops, we talk about, um, there's kind of two pieces to this, right? There's motivation. Um, I have an appetite for learning more. And then there's the actual work. Um, and so, you know, I would say start with the basic education. Many times when I give workshops, I tell people, hey, you know, again, using analogies, um, I want you to help me build a house. Um, and when we're building a house, we can't build the walls and the roof until we have that foundation set. And so for anyone, whether you're looking to get into the workforce or you are an administrator or you're in the C-suite, um, the education is key. Finding the motivation to learn more about this. Um, so some of those foundational concepts would be having, having an understanding of your biases, right? You can apply bias work to every, every single corporate structure, right? Every single division. Anytime that a human is interacting with another human, there's, a, there's biases at play. And 95% of the time, those are unconscious. So one, how do we become aware of those biases? How do we become aware of how those impact how we make decisions? And then what are strategies to disrupt that bias? That's a foundational concept. I'd say the second one would be having an understanding of microaggressions. Um, another one would be an understanding of my privilege, right? Um, at a predominantly white institution, as Rose Holman is, um, we have to talk about our privilege. We have to talk about race. White people um, have never really had to question or think about their race as um, a majority population. And so there's a lot of uncomfortable feelings about talking about that. Um, and so we need to ask people, hey, lean into being uncomfortable. That actually means that you're growing as a person. Growth is good. Um, so I would say start there. Now, if you're a person looking for uh, a job, looking to enter the workforce, um, be looking at the job description, where the job is being promoted um, and advertised. What does the interview process look like? Um, are they asking you about culture? Are they asking you about a sense of belonging? Are they asking for a diversity statement when you apply? Um, yes, these are kind of small, small scale um, things, but they, they shed a lot of light on what this organization values. Um, and if you are going to be applying for a job to provide value to the company, you want to know what value they're providing back. And so, um, you know, many times when I talk to students, they're looking out for these things. They're looking out for, are there employee resource groups or affinity groups that they can join that um, celebrate um, their, their, uh, their personhood? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, we used to have retirement programs and um, 
you know, Gen Zs, they're not looking for a full retirement program because they're not going to be working for a company for 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to be thinking about these things. If you're in the C-suite, listen to your employees, um, find anti-racist frameworks that you can apply because a lot of times these frameworks don't just benefit um, a population, they benefit all of us. Um, but be working on uh, what policies, procedures really you know, benefit a majority, but sometimes marginalize others. Be looking out for those as well in an, in an equity audit. And if you are in already in the corporate setting, you're an administrator at the C-suite, um, you know, my advice is really leverage data. Um, like everything else um, in the corporate world, um, in higher education, we lead um, and make decisions with data. Um, that applies to diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives as well. You can't know what initiatives you need to start unless you know where you're at. And so definitely leverage data, um, listen to your employees, take advantage of that equity audit that I, that I shared earlier. Um, and I, I, you know, that's a really great way to start, start the intentional work. Yes, and intentional work is the key here, right? You don't want Absolutely. people to just check the diversity box. You want them to exactly. really- really look and see how they can, you know, I don't know, use diversity as a force for good in their business, you know, to help serve communities and populations and, 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 and stakeholders, right? Right. It's a, it's a positive um, experience um, and inclusive experience. So, well, this was great. This was such great info and advice for our listeners um, I know that since you're transitioning, um, I would just encourage our listeners, um, to check you, to follow you on LinkedIn and just for all of you, it's Nicholas Davis, not Nick, but Nicholas Davis, comma, yes. M-E-A. If you, um, cause there, I'm sure there's a couple Nick Davises out there. <laughs> But, yes. um, oh, yeah, but I think you can find him there because who knows your LinkedIn page may be changed by the time this episode drops in a couple of weeks. So um, you can find him there and there's there's good stuff. There's uh, um, uh, you, you put out, you follow, you share good information. So um, you're you're a good person to follow for for this area of uh, importance for anyone who's in the DEI field or is wanting to improve their diversity, equity, inclusion practices. So really yes. you coming on. Absolutely, Vicki. And I appreciate you uh, <laughs> kind of repping the, the LinkedIn profile. Um, yes, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to connect, follow me, um, you know, putting out, uh, you know, been a part of the diversity podcast I did uh, relating to biases. If you want to check that out, um, insight into diversity magazine for some of the initiatives that we did at Rose Holman. Um, but also NADAHI, the National Association for Diversity Officers and Higher Education, released an anti-racist framework that applies broadly, not just to higher ed, but corporate settings. Um, you can check out highlights from the American Council on Engineering Companies, Indiana uh, panel that I was in a few months ago. But yeah, check it out. Love to connect with you all. And like I end all my other podcasts, let me know how I can be a support to you. Always open to chatting with people, um, sharing best practices, sharing links to those equity audits that I've talked about, sharing programming. So any way I can be a support to you, 
uh, Vicki or your audience, I'm happy to do so. That's awesome. That's so great. Well, I really, really wish you luck on the move. Thank you. Uh, going to the East Coast um, and starting a new job. I hope it's not as stressful as uh, that, you know, they say it's going to be in, with those life changes. Um, I really do wish you luck and I hope we can connect down the road. Thank you. I appreciate it, Vicki. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And yes, I, let me give me a, a couple of weeks to make that transition. I'd love to be back or um, chat with you more. Thank you for joining us today on Taking Care in Business. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, or download Taking Care in Business wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can always follow along with us by subscribing at takingcareinbusiness.com. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Taking Care in Biz. That's Taking Care in Biz, B-I-Z. If you have questions or comments, you can also email us at info at We'd love to hear from you and thank you for joining us today. And until next time, take care in business.